Welcome back to Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. April is turning out to be a big month for Image Comics. They have a lot of new number ones coming out, and I've talked to several of their creators. And on this episode, I have another creator from Image Comics I am interviewing. Now, a lot of you are probably familiar with David Finch. David Finch is an artist. He is the penciler on the DC series Batman, but he is not the only Finch working in comic books. David is married to Meredith Finch. Meredith is a writer. Now, Meredith has written such titles as Wonder Woman, Little Mermaid, and now her creator-owned series, Rose. Rose kicks off this month on April 12th. That's when issue number one comes out, published by Image Comics. Meredith is working with a very talented artist, Ig Guerrero, and the covers are being done by Ig, and also there's a variant cover by David Finch. Meredith and I, in this episode, chat about why now the timing was right to work on Rose and how she managed to get this book written with her very busy schedule. Let me just share with you the Image Comics solicitation for this to whet your appetite. It's a classic fairy tale about a girl trying to restore balance to a broken world. Rose must connect with her cat, Thorn, to become the guardian the world needs. But things aren't easy for Rose and Thorn. The powerful sorceress Drusilla has many powerful and demonic allies all of them focused on stopping one scared little girl who's desperately trying to stay alive and do what's right. I've read the first issue and not only was it great, so was my conversation with Meredith Finch. Wonderful and delightful to speak with. So without further ado, here now is my conversation with Meredith Finch on Creator Talks. Welcome to Creator Talks. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. And you have your own creator-owned comic coming out, Rose, a fantasy epic. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I'm so excited about it. I think more almost, I I don't know, can I say I'm more excited than I was when I was writing Wonder Woman? It's definitely a different thing because it's much more my child. So instead of, you know, picking up the mantle and taking it from somebody else, which, you know, after Brian and Cliff, that was a huge responsibility. This one... It's kind of liberating. I can do whatever I want. Nobody can tell me I'm doing it wrong. It is liberating. And the downside is it all falls on you too. Yes, that's true. (laughs) Stressful that way too. I had no idea what went on behind the scenes of a comic book the way I do now. Like it, it, there's so much more even after you, you finish the writing and, and you have even all the word balloons done. There's still so much more stuff that, that happens. So oh, I enjoy learning that side of things. Well, good. I do want to talk about that too. But before we do, why don't you just give uh, myself and the listeners some background on the story, the players, and where the book will be going. All right. Um, Rose is a story about a young woman um, on a quest to save her kingdom and restore peace and harmony in her land. Um And that's sort of the general story in a nutshell, but I think what the book really does is explore the ideas of finding your own personal strengths and weaknesses and how our preconceptions about other people, what that says about ourselves. Um, And for me, Rose is really a book about finding your truth as much for her as a character as hopefully I can do for the reader. First of all, it flowed beautifully. Uh, it's, It's pretty easy to pick up the book, find out who the major players are. It's not overly... That's not, there's not too much packed into the first issue that it's overwhelming. Right. You know, the pacing is good. Thank, thank you very much. I, I really, 
I feel like the first issue benefited a lot from the fact that I was able to take uh, the writer's class or audit the writer's class last year from DC with Scott Snyder. And he was, he, he really hit on what a first issue is supposed to be. You need to make, um, really establish who your core character is and what they're about in that first issue and, and really who all your characters are and what they're about in that first issue. And I, I feel like I owe Scott a, a huge debt of thank you um, for that because I, it was something I really tried to focus on. Like what is the, the main antagonist, Drusilla? What does she stand for? What does she represent? What does Rose stand for? What does she represent? Um, and I did try to just touch on it, it's a tough one. Writing issue one is tough because you're you're trying to give the reader enough to make it interesting and exciting, but not throw so much in that it gets confusing. Yeah, you want to get them hooked. Yeah, but you don't want to be too vague because that's that's your one chance to really get them. You don't want them to fall off and say, "Well, I'm not going to come back for the next one." Exactly. Rose is a a very strong character, yet she's an innocent character. And it's something we really need in today's stories. That is, there's so much darkness in the world uh, and horror that it's nice to see a story that is, you know, balancing that darkness with some light. Uh, even though it's a story, we still need to have those stories of hope uh, that uplift and inspire us. It's true. And I, and I think I really come from a place like that. I, I remember when I was younger, I would make fun of my mom because she said, I never want to watch anything that has a sad ending or or anything negative and I was like mom you're missing out you're you're not exposing yourself to so much depth and culture and and interesting ideas and you know I think what that really reflects is a lack of life experience because the more life experience the older you get you you have an I want I don't want to say opportunity but you have those moments in your life where you've already been through you know heartbreak and sorrow and despair and it gets much more difficult to relive that with a character on the screen and I'm I'm that way too like I don't want to watch a show where a kid dies I don't want to I don't want to watch a show that doesn't have a happy ending pay it forward I love that movie but it has a worse ending because it you know he dies in the end but so I really wanted Rose to have this positive feeling while at the same time addressing some of the ideas and um, issues that I, I felt I wanted to address or, or talk about in the, in the story. Oh, and just going back to the setup, I did want to say that there are books that I've read where it's a very interesting book. There's a lot of depth to it, a lot of characters, a lot going on. But it is so involved that clearly the writer knows something that I don't, that I should know, and I can't appreciate it as much as the writer. But in this case, you know, I'm, I'm on board you know, I, there's a lot to be revealed, but I kind of get the gist of where we're going. And there are some books that it just the person is so close to the work, they have all these things in their head, all this back matter that I don't have. Sometimes I'm like, I, I don't quite, I don't feel it, man. I, I just don't feel it. So in this case, you know, it, it works very well. Thank you. Editing I, for me really helps with that because I have two different people editing. I have Dave who always edits for me. And then I have Andy Schmidt from Comics Experience. And I never tell him where the story's going or fill him in on extra back stuff so that he can say this, you're, you're, you're assuming a level of something on the re of knowledge on the reader that the reader doesn't have. So it's, I really credit Andy 
for helping ensure that that doesn't happen in this book. And why did you choose for your first book to be the story of Rose? I have loved, I, anybody who's heard me talk about this knows I've said it a million times. I love, love, love fantasy fiction. I grew up reading it as a little girl. My grandmother introduced me to it at a very young age. And I read Anne McCaffrey and David Eddings and Melanie Ron and Marion Zimmer Bradley. I just love that genre. And I always knew that I would write a fantasy novel is what I would say. And it really wasn't until I met Dave that even the concept of writing a comic in a fantasy form occurred to me because I really didn't even know comics existed the way that they do until I met Dave. And he and I talked um, years ago, even before I started writing um, in comics professionally about doing a story together like this. And we had come up with, I think we came up with the idea of Rose six years ago. And it's just sort of been something that's floated around and I've thought about it. I'm like, I need to have time. And it wasn't right, really the right time. And, and after coming off of one woman, I was like, this is the right time. This is the time for me to do this and, and, and put that story and the idea forward in a way that I didn't imagine doing before, but I think works really well for the genre. I do like stories with complexity and that, or even a movie that I walk away and makes me think about it. And I don't mind it putting me through the ringer sometimes, but I do need those stories. And an example would be something like Star Wars. It's very clear good and evil. I do like Shades of Grey. I do like the ambiguity, yeah. but there, I do need that as well in my life. So I walk out feeling really good after seeing a movie or reading a book rather than feeling like I got punched in the gut. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can't, it's okay once in a while, but I can't take it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and plus, if you want to share those things with your children, um, you know, when they're younger, you, you want to get them off to a, at least an optimistic start with their, their reading and, and storytelling. Well, it's one of those things that I'm not the person that's going to have gratuitous violence. I'm not going to write in gratuitous violence in the book. And um, I think Egg, as, a, as an artist, isn't really that kind of an artist. And I want be, to be able to share this book with my parents or my children or my girlfriends. I, I wanted this to be an accessible book. And, and I do feel like there's, we go so far on TV and in movies now, sometimes it's okay. You don't have to show it to imagine it. What we can imagine is far worse than what we could show. So I like the fact that we've been able to sort of leave the, the really yucky stuff out, but you still get the idea of the yucky stuff. I couldn't agree more. I do find that to be much more effective. Like Just like you said, what you cook up in your head is sometimes far, far worse than what somebody could actually show you. When I was a little kid watching things on television that would scare me and I would leave the room and it, it, it was something as simple as Night Stalker on CBS. Yeah. That, that it, For some reason, it terrified me. And yeah. when I watched it when I was older, I was like, not that scary. But in my mind, I would hear all these sounds and things and I would be like, that must be the most horrifying thing ever. <laughs> So yes, off panel, off screen, it works very well. Yeah. Uh, when you're writing, some writers do this. Is there a soundtrack in your head? It, would you have like your own playlist that would play behind the, the actual storytelling itself? I don't necessarily. I do. The way I use music is much more um, for an emotional inspiration for a specific scene. So if I if I, I'm writing a scene where something really tragic happens or somebody's feeling sad, but I'm having a really great day. I just have, that's the scene I have to write. And then I'll try to listen to songs um, 
that can sort of put me in that emotional mind frame to be able to, to tap into what the character needs. But as a general rule, I've found it's very difficult unless I'm listening to classical music to write with something going on in the background. There's so much, I'm so in my head when that, when the, when I'm doing the story that that the soundtrack is what's actually happening in that particular scene. Sure. And if you did have something else playing in the background, what if it influenced the way you were thinking about the story? You know, that's why you probably don't want anything that could send you in the direction that you wanted to, to change the mood that you have set in your mind. Right. I think if I, maybe if I was writing a more modern story, I, I might, you know, like one woman at the dance club, when we did that, I think I had to see, like I had an idea of what she was dancing to, but as a general, I think because it's such a, a historically based, like a historically focused, like it's, I'm lost for the word, but you know what I mean? Like it's, mm -hmm. it's not really a modern day current story. So I, I, I don't feel like listening to modern or current music would really be applicable. Maybe I could listen to some Renaissance reporter music and that might, that would be the soundtrack. <laughs> if I was going to listen to something, I would be listening to recorder music. Can you tell me about the creative team that you're working with? You just mentioned the artist. Um, and I did see the preview and read the book, and it, it's fantastic. I was really, really impressed with how well it came out. Um, tell me what it's like working with Ig. Is that right? Ig Iguara, yes. Okay. I, I'm so thrilled to be working with Ig. And the moment I saw samples, because I saw samples from a huge variety of artists when I was looking at when I when I started doing this book, and when I, as soon as I saw Ig's artwork, I said to Dave, "This is the guy." I just Loved the way he was able to put so much expression on a face. And he, he just has this, I, for me, his characters just came alive. And the moment I saw his first sketch of Rose, like his sketches of Rose, they just, it changed the character permanently for me. Because the only person who had drawn her before was David. And, and he is able to, the characters he's created and the environment he's created it, it it really transports you visually on the page. And then when you add the colors of Triona Farrell over top of that, she is such, I feel, such a unique palette for this book. It really sets it apart visually, I think, from anything that's out there on the market. I mean, comic books tend to have a really super saturated um, vibrancy to them. And this book is, it's almost done in pastels, but it's so beautiful. I keep telling people, I feel like it's a visual masterpiece. And as the issues go on and it gets more comfortable with the characters and Shona gets more comfortable with the characters, I just feel like it gets more and more beautiful with every issue. I just love to look at the artwork. I don't know if the story's even good at this point, but I know the artwork <laughs> is incredible. There was a page uh, with Rose testing her powers Yes, uh, in the I first issue. That was a wonderful, wonderful frame. Uh, yeah. Really excellent. And the colors, they are wonderful. I mean, sometimes you can have a colorist work on a, a book on the, on the pencils and inks, and it can detract from the artwork. I've seen that happen occasionally. It's like, ooh, if only this were in black and white or it had a different colors because it didn't quite line up with the feel of the book. The mood and the feel of this story, it works very well, and it doesn't – pull you out of the art or pull you out of the story. It just pulls you right into it. It does. I feel like I really won the lottery with both of them. And there is a synergy that, that the two of them have together. It, it's there. There really is. It's very special in comics 
when you get an artist and a colorist who have the kind of ability to add to each other's work the way that I think Egg and Truon are doing. I think that the two of them together are greater than the sum of their parts. And I've, I've spoken with Egg's um, manager, and he said, I have never seen his artwork look like this before. Now, Egg is from Brazil, think- right? Yes, he is. Joe Prado is, is his manager. He runs the studio. And Joe said, and, and Joe said, I've never seen his art look this good. And I, it, the two of them, like I say, there's a synergy there that it's more than just an artist and a colorist. It, 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 it's, it exceeds what they're each doing individually. Have they worked together before? They haven't, no. Oh, wow. I take total credit for bringing them together. <laughs> I just know how to pick them. I guess it comes from, and the great thing is that, you know, I made the decision, not Dave. So he must be influencing me on some way. <laughs> I was reading some of the credits and thank you should put out there. And one person you mentioned that was on my show was uh, Erica Schultz. I love Erica. She, she was, is so oh, great. Yes. She is. I met her again through the DC writers class and she's been such a huge support through this whole process. Uh, she read the first issue before it became what it is um, and, and gave me some comments and some feedback. And, and, and she's, I really feel like she's 100% in my corner, and, and I, I love her. She's amazing. And she's a great writer, too. Oh, so yes. Oh, yes. If you're picking up stuff, pick up Erica's stuff, too. She's working on Charmed. She is right now, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned your editor, uh, Andy Schmidt. Yes, he and Dave have been friends since Dave started at Marvel. So there's a long time association there. And of course, Dave and the family has been backing you all the way through this. I, I couldn't do without him. If, if it wasn't for Dave, I wouldn't have written a comic at all. I wouldn't have put my writing out there. So um, it's nice to have the person that you live with be your biggest cheerleader. And, and Dave is always that for me. He actually said he's kind of jealous. <laughs> he's like, I can't believe how much support you're getting for the, your comic. He's like, I knew I liked it. I just didn't know that it was going to be, you know, what it what it's feeling like it's going to be. I just feel like the response I've been getting I, and, and the way that this book has been going, I feel like it's something very special. And I feel incredibly blessed by the whole process. And Image has been just a, a top-notch company to work with. I love them. Now, you said you learned some things about making comics with this particular title, Rose, that you didn't know about before. What were some of those things that you, you learned about? Thinking about like the back cover, what does the back cover look like? What does the front cover, all the variant covers? Because Rose, the issue one has had... We, we get to participate in that 25th anniversary celebration for image. So we've got to do all these extra colors and, but learning about final cutoffs and different programs, uh, Adobe illustrator, which I've used Photoshop, but I've never used an illustrator to, to layer and create the, the masthead for rows, which Erica did, but having to edit stuff as well. So I've, Looking at the PDFs, I'm still figuring out how to put a PDF together. They keep doing it for me, so eventually I'll get that too. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, yeah, just I think it's just all the different steps and, and the layers of of approval and editing and and everything that that goes in and and uh, I, I get to I have to approve shipping labels now, which uh-huh. who knew who knew that? <laughs> so it's it's fun stuff. I get to yeah. I've really enjoyed it. 
I feel a little stressed out sometimes by it. I'm like, oh no, this de- this deadline is coming up. Writing solicitations because you don't really have to do that when you're working for DC. They take care of the writing the solicitations and giving all the preview stuff. So, well, it's a lot of work and it can be stressful, but it's yours. And it's good when I'm a bit of a type A. My my family might say I micromanage a little bit. So this really fits into that aspect of my personality. I, I think I'm well ahead for image. They've got three issues and they only needed one so far. Oh, awesome. So, and I, as soon as I get the, we need your solicitation, I try to send it in right away. So I don't, ha- I don't want to ever hit a deadline. Deadlines are bad. I keep trying to teach my kid as he's going into high school that you want to get your work done before it's due, not the night before it's due. You're going to do your best work that way. Yes. <laughs> now you did write Wonder Woman for DC Comics. What did you learn working for them? I know it's a different animal because it's someone else's intellectual property. It really is. So I, I think because of that, you really have to think of new and interesting ways to tell a story. Because especially with a character like Wonder Woman, who's been around for so long, since 1946, it, it's you have to be able to think, what hasn't somebody done with her? Or... What can I do with her that somebody's done, but do it in a different way? So it's really a challenge to, to take an idea and think through an idea. And the other great thing I learned from, from working with DC is, is pushing out an idea and f- fleshing an idea out to a certain level of completion. Because in the past, I've always been really good at starting something Starting, And I think a lot of us fall victim to this, where we're really good at starting something because it's new and it's fun and it's exciting, but then it's a lot harder to finish something off. And with DC, because you have to submit a six-arc projection, like you have to submit a story that this is what's going to happen in six arcs, in the six issues. Sorry, I said six arcs, but six issues. When the six-issue arc, you have to know what's going to happen at the beginning and how your story is going to end, and then you have to know what the major beats are in each issue of that arc. So it was really good for me because that's the very first time I've really had to do that um, in my writing. And I I really feel like it's helped me with Rose because I have in my mind, I know sort of what my end goal is and where I'm going. What I can do with this book though is not be as constrained within a limited number of issues for an arc. What did you learn about comic fans while on Wonder Woman? Because with Rose, it's yours. You're starting out fresh. There's no expectations. Right. How were the fans when you were on Wonder Woman? Well, I think with any major character, you have people have a real sense of connection to that character. A character like Wonder Woman, who's been around for so long, everybody has a really concrete idea for themselves of who she is and what she represents. And it's really important, I found as a writer, to just focus on what I was trying to do with her and not get too heavily influenced by the multitude of voices out there who would tell you who she is and what you should be doing with it. And some people you're going to make happy and you are really going to connect with what you're doing with that character. And some people you're not. And that's okay too. That it's okay that not everybody has to like what you're doing, but hopefully, it can you can connect with somebody, or maybe create a different audience 
with what you're doing for that character. So yeah, it, it was, it was a sometimes stressful experience. Um, but I think it's a really great way to face self doubt and decide if, if you believe in, in what you're doing enough to push forward and stand up for the stories that you want to tell. Right. I mean, you can't make everyone happy and it is a conundrum. I mean, you want to do something different. And if you don't, people say, oh, it's the same old, same old. And then if you don't do the same old, same old, why are you changing things? It now? That, that would never be that way. Yeah. <laughs> and again, it's a story. Um, if you like the old stories, they're still there. They're on your shelf. You can buy them. They're not going away. No one's taking them away. But don't you want to see something different? Yeah. And between working at DC and now working on your own, what would you do differently? Or what are you doing differently with your own book? Well, with my own book, I'm not constraining myself within your traditional six-issue arc. Um, I've really found that the way that I tell a story naturally lends itself to needing more time. So with Wonder Woman, sometimes I would feel like I'm telling my story, I'm telling my story. And then I'd hit the end of issue four or halfway through issue five and suddenly realize I'm running out of time. I'm running out of time to be able to tell it, to do everything that I wanted to do with this character. And with Rose, I really made a very concerted effort to say I'm not going to be locked into that. And it's funny, Dave was reading issue seven today and he said it feels almost like a book, like you're writing this like a book in sort of a, taking the time to, to have scenes that you might not typically see in a comic, that, but that you need to have, I think, to develop your story and, and get people into your characters and, and understanding their motivations and, and where they're coming from. So. I, I just try to really be true to myself and what I want to do with the story. What I hear is the right thing to do is be a writer first and foremost. And I don't think people realize how tough it is. I'm not a comic writer, but how tough it must be to pay something for 20 pages. Yes. You know, and fit it there and have an end point for that issue. That's part right. of the challenge as well. But first, you're just writing a story. Right. You're not worrying about the constraints to begin with. So, yeah, it's, it's been fun. So how did you decide, I want to be a writer and I'm going to write in comics? What made you decide this is the moment? I always knew I would be a writer, uh, although I didn't go to school for um, any kind of literary degree. I have a degree in science. I have an ecology and evolution degree because my dad really believed in science. He said, you're never going to get a degree doing a liberal uh, job, doing a liberal arts degree. You need to get a science job. Science will get you a job. So, um, so I didn't go to school for that, but I've always just had, I've been, I think naturally I've, I've gravitated toward writing. I think I've been a good writer. I think I have a, a, a natural sense of, of, of pacing and flow. Not, I, I hate tooting my own horn, but I, I, I don't. I, I feel like it's something that I'm naturally good at, or gravitate toward. But it's always been something I've just done for myself. I've done poetry. Um, whenever I'm, it, whenever I have a tough time, um, uh, when I went through a divorce, when my kids were two and 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 three months old, that that's that was my go-to. I, I wrote about that. Um, and when I met David, he he always. I think he recognized that in me 
And um, a few years ago, a friend of mine had a really bad accident. And I did some writing just to try to deal with the feelings I was having around that. And I had left it out on the counter for some reason. And Dave found it and picked it up. And that was the moment where he looked at me and said, the kids are grown up enough and independent enough that you need to do this. You need to put this out there. You have something to say, and I believe in you. And, and, and he pushed me into comics. I never would have thought of doing comics until he pushed me into it. And I love it. I am so grateful every day for his belief in me and, and pushing me to be out there. I'm wondering with you and David both working in comics, how do you find time for the work family or family work balance? As I wonder, just myself, you know, doing a podcast, having a day job, having a family, how do you do it? Because I could use some help, some tips. (laughs) Well, I can tell you how our day looks because David does work a lot of hours to get a comic book out on a monthly basis. He puts in a lot of hours. So usually what happens for us is I get up at seven I make the lunches, I drive our oldest to high school at eight, I come back, I get the other two ready and I take them to school for nine. And then we each take time to either go to the gym or or go for a run or do a little bit of exercise. And then he goes down around 10 o'clock, we start our day. And he'll go down, he has an office in the basement, I have an office on the main floor. And then we work until the kids get home from school. And that usually is around four o'clock. And then we take, we carve out two hours or three hours to spend with the kids. And then by seven, our youngest goes up and he reads in his bed for an hour. And our oldest is still off doing whatever sport activity he's doing until he gets home. And then Dave goes back downstairs and he works until he gets done whatever he needs to get done. Myself, I really have, I have a hard time working at night. So I really have to make sure that I manage my time productively during the day those hours from 10 till 4 if I don't get it done then it's very difficult for me to sit down my it's like my brain turns off after dinner and once the kids are in bed I I'm like a computer that just flips the shutdown mode and I'm in I'm in stasis so it really is about maximizing the time that you have and and I always set a goal every week what I need to get accomplished in that week and then, you know, manage my time to get that done. It takes a fair amount of discipline. You have to kind of have a schedule. Even I have a a schedule. Like I have to do this in the morning before work. So I'll be up before everybody else is awake. Yeah. You know, if I do some recordings of my own, just my own voice, it's before everybody's awake because my kids, at least I have three and one's an adult. She's out of the house. Two boys, one five and one six months old. So Your kids are much more labor intensive than mine. Remember how I said the kids were older when I was working? Yes. I, yes. Our youngest was in school. Okay. He was five or six because our boys are eight and 13 and 15. Okay. So it, you have a, your freedom's coming. It's just like seven, six and a half years away. I had it and then it, and then it came, yeah. went away again. Yeah. But it's, it's not that bad. It really isn't that bad. With both of you working in comics, does it produce any anxiety since you're both in the same industry? Yes. Yes, it does. But 
And it was worse when we were working on one woman together because mm. we really were going down together or we were going up together. <laughs> right, it was, right. There was no, nobody was having a high or a low at different times. We were on that same roller coaster. Um, but yeah, we do, whenever you do, I think a creative job, you're putting a piece of yourself out there every month into the world for people to comment on. And, um, sometimes people love it and sometimes people hate it. And it, the saying that it takes 10 positives to erase one negative is out there for a reason because it does. We always, I think we naturally hold on to the negative and we have a hard time hearing the positive. So, you know, it can be very difficult. I, I find the harder, t the hardest times are always right after a book hits. So I'm really grateful for with Rose that I'm so far in. I'll have eight issues written before issue one comes out. And it was nice with one woman as well, because I was fairly far along in that story arc before our issue one hit. And that, at that point you're on the train, it's going down the track and, and there's momentum that you've already hitched your wagon here and it, you've got to follow through. You can't, you can't change course. So it, it, it's good for me in that way. And Dave always, you know, we, we both have ups and downs and I think because we understand where each one's coming from, we can say, it's okay. It's going to be fine. You'll get through it. It must be tough too with social media because it's great. You can let people know how everything's going, what you're working on, and they can give you feedback. But it also tends to be an environment of extremes. People either really love something or really hate it. There, there are some out there who are, you know, open-minded, um, but it, it is difficult being in that very extreme um, arena. And it seems like if one influential person says something, people might just follow their opinion without formulating their own. Right. Yeah, we're like lemmings running off a cliff. <laughs> yeah. um, it that's true, and you'll notice that David does not have social media. Isn't he? Doesn't do Twitter. Um, I am I. I post his. I post to his Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I he'll answer emails that come through the website, but but as a general rule, he knows that. He's very sensitive about his work. He's probably more sensitive than I am because he puts so much energy and so much time into each page. To write a, to write a page of a comic takes 20 minutes, half an hour. To draw a page of a comic takes a day or sometimes more. So there's a lot more time and energy invested in that. And it hurts a lot. Like if somebody doesn't like a line of dialogue, it's a line of dialogue. You know what I mean? But if somebody rips apart something that you spent hours working on and you tried so hard to make your best work, it's heartbreaking. And I think also because he's been in the industry for so long, he really, how he sees himself is a direct reflection of, of how his art is perceived. So he's, he's, his sense of self is very much tied in with his artwork. Whereas because I'm coming to comics so much later in my life, at the end of the day, I'm a mom. That's my most important job. And if my kids are great and I'm doing what I need to do for my kids, everything else is just noise. Like if you don't like it, it's fine. Somebody else does. It helps that 
I have a, a very strong sense that as much as I'm putting myself out there and as much as I strongly believe in this, if nobody bought that book, I would still be Meredith Finch, who has three amazing boys and a wonderful husband. And I would still have a wonderful life. Um, it's much harder for David to separate himself from that. So he's good with no social media. <laughs> yeah, my wife, my wife is not on social media at all. Like I'm the yeah. person who does social media. That's it. Yeah. And I think you have to do it. You, you really have to do it. Um, understand your purpose with social media. Like I use it for promotion. I don't usually tweet personal stuff. So every once in a while, throw something personal out there. But I try to avoid reading stuff. And I just use it for promoting my stuff. No, it makes sense. Uh, let's talk about Wonder Woman for a second because the movie's coming out uh, soon. This is coming out in June. Yes. I'm so excited for it. I just, I think she's beautiful. I think she has a, the fierceness and the, 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 the love and the caring. Like she really is so able to, to emote what I believe Wonder Woman represents um, I think she was a great casting choice. And everything I've seen of the movie, the way that they've done Themyscira, the way they've done Hippolyta and the Amazons, it, it all looks like they put so much thought and, and effort into it. And um, Chris Pine looks like a great Steve Trevor. I, I, I'm looking forward to this movie more than probably any superhero movie that's ever come out. Um, and I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be the best superhero movie DC's done. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think it's going to kick the butt of even Suicide Squad, which <laughs> I really enjoyed. She was probably the best part of Batman v Superman. I mean, there were some some good parts in it. And I know it yep. received a lot of negative press, but definitely just like uh, just the smile on her face mm -hmm. when Doomsday knocked her back, and that that look that just said it's on. Yeah, <laughs> that oh, was yeah. that she little does, moment. Yes, it was the best part of the movie. <laughs> yes. You felt it in your chest. You're like, oh yeah. Even my kids beside me were like, oh yeah. And I've got boys. Like they love it. They loved it. So yeah, I think it's gonna be I I think it's about time. I think it's gonna be amazing. Yeah, I like it being World War One set too. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um just some fun questions for you. What do All you right. do for rest and relaxation when you're not writing, taking care of the family, helping out with things? Like what do you do for yourself? Your me time. My me time. I like to knit. I did a lot of knitting this fall. It helps when I'm watching TV. If my hands are busy with a set of knitting needles, they're not putting food in my mouth. So <laughs> Maybe I should take up knitting. I don't know. Pick up a, a hobby that involves your hands that you can do. And the great thing about knitting is it's kind of mindless. Once you know how to do it, you can sit there and watch TV and just like away you're going. You just, you're just doing it. So I made... My sister vest. I made myself a vest. I, I made. I think. I made. I think I made three vests. This year was all about vests. Last year it was all about slippers. The year before, I think it was making mittens. So, you know, I that's definitely my hobby. I like to. I like to knit. I like to sew, but usually I only do that because I need to make a pillow or fix the kids' stuff. It's been a long time since I. I did this summer. I made. I made a bunch of pillows. But yeah, I like to do sort of crafty things. I'm. I like to cook. I always have a glass of wine when I make dinner, so I like to have wine. I'm a, I'm I'm a I don't want to say I'm a wino, but when people send out those, it's it's wine day. I'm like, heck yes, it is. 
It's my definite drink of choice. So my wife tried that too. Tried knitting. She was going to knit me a scarf. I have a pot holder, but no scarf. Oh. <laughs> but she does like to cook, and she does like to have wine when she's cooking. So uh, she's in good company. I see. That's right. I think we would get along famously. I know we would. And do you have? An island book. And I don't mean a comic book. And um, let's just assume on this island there's no power. Your cell phone and tablet have run out of power. What is the one book you would want to have with you? Okay, so this is a hard question because I have fantasy. Okay, can I get it like as a, a set of It could be a set. Okay, so I would take C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the entire series as a big book. You can buy that as a big book at chapters now. So that works. All this, all his books from the magician's nephew right through in one big book. I would take that. I love him. And uh, one question I was going to ask you, but I think you've already answered it. What is your drink of choice? And if it's not spirits, what would it be? But I see, it, I see it's red wine. Okay. It's red wine. If it's summer, it's a Zinfandel. If it's the fall, I'm really into Carmineers right now. Uh, yeah. Red wine. Okay. Yeah. I'm with you there. I, we, we like the red wine in the house. We, uh, we'll try different kinds. Uh, our favorite kind is box wine. <laughs> <laughs> it's dangerous. It's oh, my gosh. Easy pour a spout. <laughs> Top me I off. Have a girlfriend, no word of a lie, who she was a mom on one of my son's soccer teams, and she would we'll make wine. And put it in a Culligan jug. <laughs> and then put it on the stand, you know, the water dispenser stand with your mm-hmm. big, and she would put that on. I'm like, I don't even know how that stays fresh. But, I, I, or what that says about her wine drinking. But that's the best story I've ever heard about somebody with bulk wine. That is serious. That is a serious yeah. wine lover. Yes. <laughs> Now, do you have any uh, con appearances coming up with your busy schedule? I, I know you're busy writing and all the stuff going on, but are there any you're going to try to fit in this year? We're uh, heading to Australia Ooh. in April to do the Supernova shows. Supernova. I think it's not super, it's Supa. Supernova. But we're going to, we'll be in the Gold Coast and we'll be in Melbourne. Um, and then for sure I'll do New York. We're still talking about San Diego. I know I've committed to other ones. I don't have my calendar in front of me. I'm I'm definitely the calendar mom. If it's not as soon as I write it down, it leaves my brain. I don't have to retain it anymore. I understand. Our lives get more but complicated. Up, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Dave's got more conventions than I do because as a writer at a convention, honestly, you go and you sit for an hour, mm-hmm. you you could sign 100 comic books. But as an artist, people want a sketch. So it takes like it's a much longer day. So, sure. so he tends to go to more shows than I do. I kind of feel bad for some of the writers too who have to sign all those books because my thing now is when I go to a con, if I want to have a favorite writer sign a book, I usually get like the trade paperback and yep. say, please sign this. And you can, you can personalize it. That's fine. Um, but I see people walking up and I, I don't quite understand this. They'll bring like a long box. And they'll want a ton of copies signed. And I'm like, well, you might be a really big fan, but, I mean, you need to have every single issue signed. <laughs> Just get a trade and have it signed. Yeah. I don't I don't mind people if they – but bear in mind, I, I, I don't have, like, 100 comics that I've written yet. Mm-hmm. So my feelings on this might change at some point. I never mind if people want to bring up 
all their individual comics. Mm-hmm. Where I have a problem is if you come up to me with a stack of like 20 of the same comic, which you're clearly yes. selling on eBay, which it would fine as long as you're, you know, cutting me in for some of that. <laughs> some cons, they do have like a limit, like you can have five books signed, yeah. which is fair. I mean, in fairness I, to everybody else in line. Dave tends to do that because he's, you know, he's been working in comics for 20 years and he tends to like, it's a limit of five or so that he'll sign. I just wanted to circle back on this too because I meant to ask you this earlier. Do you find fans at cons different from those you hear from in social media? Do you find generally that the people that you meet are very nice? They're different people in person than you would see them or hear from them in social media. I don't think that the people who don't like me on social media come to me at cons because everybody at a convention is – like, I love conventions. People are so warm and so generous and, and so kind. And they just, if they're coming up to you at a convention, it's to tell you how much they love your work and how much, how what you've done has touched them in some way. And, and I've had a lot of really special, um, meaningful situations when I was on Wonder Woman with that, where people, I had a woman come up to me and say, I was in the hospital and somebody gave me your Wonder Woman run. And it really got me through a really tough time. So, or, so I really feel like it's one of those it's people who have negative things to say. It's much easier to say that behind the curtain of anonymity. Um, whereas if people have something positive to say, and I think that's why you tend to see less positive stuff on social media, because if somebody has something positive, they want to say, they want to say it to your face. They want to tell you how, what you've done has personally impacted them where if somebody has something negative to say, they don't want you, they, they don't want to say it to your face. Mm. Oh, well, at least if it was constructive criticism, I'd listen to it. You know, I mean, yes. I'd, be okay, I'd be okay with that. I always try to read reviews and look for, for meaningful criticism. If, if I'm reading a review, I mean, sometimes I don't read all the reviews, but I try to be aware, like, is that a fair criticism of what I'm doing? And, should I let it influence what I'm, what, what I do going forward? And there's some people who just don't like you and that's okay too. Or like that type of book. I mean, they're not into the fantasy or sci-fi even. They might be just, they might just like straight superheroes or they don't like superheroes at all. And they'd rather read something completely different. So they, they're biased to begin with. Right. So, and that's okay. I mean, I'm not, you're not going to pick up my book and look for this to be something similar to what Scott Snyder's doing. Like, I, I, I've, and I said this to Dave, I don't do, there's like, there are people who do really smart writing that's like edgy and, and, and all these like hidden layers. I don't think that's what I do well. I think what I do well is characters. I think that it seems with my writing, I have an, an ability to, to write characters that people can connect with and, and I, and I deal in relationships. So the story is important, and I try to tell a good story, but more important to me are the relationships that those characters are having. Meredith, but as we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that you're working on? Obviously, you're working on Rose. That is it for right now. I I have to – it's one of those know your limits, stay within it. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be able to balance my life and my kids and not lose all my hair because I pulled it out <laughs> – I, I feel like I can comfortably do what I'm doing right now, which is one book a month. I, I do have, you know, some ideas 
that are bubbling around that I'd like to develop, but not, nothing's at that stage yet. So, so I'm, I'm focused on Rose for right now and giving her 110% of what I have to offer. Um, and in terms of what I would say to fans is that I really feel like this is a book that just gets better and better every issue. I've given it to my parents. I've given it to my sister. I've given it to girlfriends and they've all loved it, which means that if you're a guy and you want your girlfriend to read comics, I think this is a good book to get her into that genre. But it's also a book where Dave was reading issue seven to him. He's like, I forget what I'm doing, Meredith. He said, I forget that I'm supposed to be editing because I'm just getting so caught up in the story. And, and he's, he's found that now with, you know, he's done issues two, three, two, three, and four with me, like looking over dialogue, making sure I, I get all my commas in the right place. And he keeps saying, like, I, I get so caught up and carried away that I forget what I'm supposed to be doing. And that tells me that there's something in it for guys too, that, that this is, is a book that there's, I, I say it, there's something in it for, you can't be everything to all people, but there is something in it, you know, for everyone. It's, it, if you're looking for a good character, fun book, and, and again, Egg's artwork is amazing and so engaging, and Triona's colors are just beautiful. It's just, I feel like it's a really special book. People, one I'm proud to put my name on. And people owe it to themselves to check it out, and it'll be out April 12th. It will be. Thank you. Yes, they do. They do it themselves. <laughs> Meredith, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure thank to have you. you. Thank you for having me, Christopher. This was great. And that's my conversation with Meredith Finch. Please consider checking out that book. Again, this is an all-ages type comic book. It's one you can read to your children. There's no gratuitous violence or coarse language. It has beautiful art. And it's something you'll want to share with your spouse, too. I think it's something you would both enjoy. And words really don't do it justice. You have to see the art for yourself. And I'll put some of that in my blog if you haven't already seen some of it online. I can't believe April is already here. And already I've done four months of podcasting of this show. And there's lots more to come in the months ahead. One of my first guests on the show, Kurt Bruegel, well, he continues to work on his books, and he is working on another Crom the Barbarian comic book with some of the finished art posted on his Facebook page, and I'll be sharing some of that in my next blog post. I like to keep tabs and give you updates on writers and artists that I've had on the show in the past, and I'll let you know what they're doing, and I'll have them back on the show at some point to chat about the world of comics, the industry, and what they're working on. Who's coming up on future shows? Well, you can find out by following me on Twitter at Creator Talks Pod or on Facebook at Creator Talks Pod or both. Also, you can go to my website, creatortalks.com. That's creatortalks.com. From there, you can download the podcast. It's on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or use your favorite app to listen to the show. And I would like to thank all of my loyal listeners who have been listening to the show here in the U.S. and throughout the world. Do you have any suggestions for guests, someone you'd like to hear? I'd like to know. So again, Facebook or Twitter, at Creator Talks Pod, or shoot me an email. You can do that through my website, creatortalks.com. It's con season, and the Greater Philadelphia Comic Con is coming up, and I'll be there, making some contacts and hopefully getting more guests for the show. For Creator Talks, I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time.